15. So we are going to open God's word in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 15. This is a story of King David, who is already old by now, and he has many sons, and one of his sons, Absalom, wants to be king himself. And he cannot wait for his father to die, so Absalom starts a rebellion. So... 2 Samuel 15, after this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Please let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I lived in Geshur in Aram, saying, If the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. The king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. With Absalom went two hundred men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, the Galonite, David's counselor from his city, Gilo. And the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, and let us flee or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out and all his household after him. And the king left ten concubines, to keep the house. And the king went out, and all the people after him, and they halted at the last house. And all his servants passed by him, and all the Cherethites, and all the Pelethites, 
And all the 600 Gittites who had followed him from Gath passed on before the king. Then the king said to Ittai, the Gittite, Why do you also go with us? Go back and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday. And shall I today make you wander about with us, since I go I know not where? Go back and take your brothers with you, and may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. But Ittai answered the king, As the Lord lives and as my lord the king lives, whatever my lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. And David said to Ittai, Go then, pass on. So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all his men and all the little ones who were with him. And all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook Kidron, and all the people passed on toward the wilderness. And Abiathar came up, and behold, Zadok came also with all the Levites, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God until all the people had passed out of the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your two sons, Ahimeas, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait at the forts of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot, and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. While David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. David said to him, If you go on with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in time past, so now I will be your servant, then you will defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. Are not Zadok and Abiathar the priests with you there? So, whatever you hear from the king's house, tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Behold, their two sons are with them there, Ahimeaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son, and by them you shall send to me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. 
This is uh, our scripture reading, and our text for the sermon is verse 25 and 26, that moment with uh, the ark of God and the priests that came out of the city. And then verse 25, the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. So, beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, our text describes to us a very special occasion. We see an old king. David is old by now. Um, He has reigned in Jerusalem for many years now. He has been a good king. The people have flourished under his rule. It was a blessing. The people for the first time had peace and prosperity and they experienced what it is to live under a king who loves the Lord. But now, here, we see David fleeing for his life because there is a rebellion. And the majority of the people have turned against him It's remarkable. Some Philistines who came recently are still on his side, but the majority of the people of Israel have turned against King David. Try to imagine the scene. You see him there. He came down out of the city. He's standing there at the Kidron River Creek. He's weeping barefoot, his head covered, The people with him are weeping too. This is unimaginable. This king, this is King David, the great king, under whose people the under whose reign the people have flourished. He has defeated enemies, established a strong kingdom, he brought the ark to Jerusalem. What a shame that this man has to flee for his life. And what makes it even more painful, of course, is that the rebellion The leader of the rebellion is not an enemy from far away, but his own son, Absalom. Now, you know Absalom, don't you? You've heard about him before. Absalom was one of the princes. He was handsome. His mother was a princess. He was from royal descent from both sides. Absalom was ambitious, wanted to be king, and he couldn't wait for his father to die. Absalom was also ruthless and devious. Uh, As it says in our text, he stole the hearts of the people of Israel by befriending everybody and saying, oh, if I was king, I would make sure you, you would get justice. He stole the hearts of the people. He was devious and he was ruthless. He had already killed one of his brothers. So when David heard that there was a rebellion started by Absalom, David knew. He's my beloved son, but I know Absalom. He has no mercy. He will kill me. So David is fleeing. Even now there is some, some comfort still, even though the majority of the people are against David on the side of Absalom, there are still many who are on David's side. It's described in the chapter, his servants say, Our Lord, the king, we are with you. Wherever you go, we will go with you. 
his servants. His bodyguards are with him. Even those 600 Philistines are with him. And then also the priests and the Levites. Abiathar comes out and Zadok comes out. And it's a very touching moment. Abiathar and Zadok, the priests, they come out of the city with the Ark of God. I think the children in church know the Ark of God, what that is. It's beautiful. It's like a box overlaid with gold. And then there is this lid on top, which is called the mercy seat. The high priest goes in there once a year to pray for mercy for God's people. It's, it's the symbol of God's love and God's presence and God's mercy on his people. The Ark of God. And the priests bring out the Ark of God because they, it's, it's a symbolic gesture. They want to show the king, well, there may be a rebellion, but you are the anointed one. You are the king that has been appointed by God. God is on your side, so we bring out the ark. The ark is going with you wherever you go. must have been encouraging for King David, right? At least the priests of God who represent God, they are still on my side. Here is the ark of God. That's beautiful. And then these remarkable words. The king speaks. He addresses Zadok, the priest, and he says, carry the ark of God back into the city. What? The priests must have been taken aback. Why? Does the king not want us to, to bring the ark? I would not be right if Absalom has the ark. David, he is the real king. He's the anointed one. The ark should be with him. Has David given up hope? Is he saying, well, we might as well give up? So we are going to focus on this moment. This is such a beautiful moment in David's life. It's a very difficult moment. But you know, sometimes there are these moments in a person's life, and we all have such moments, I think, when all of a sudden you're in a big crisis and you have to make some very quick decisions. You have to make them fast. And in moments like that, everything comes together, your life experience, your wisdom, but also your faith, your trust in God. And so it is with David. As he is standing there at the Kidron Creek River with the priests and with the ark, he needs to make a very quick decision. Is this right for me to take the ark with me if I'm fleeing, or, or is it not? And the Lord in his wisdom has included a report for us in his word so that we, we can notice and that we can hear how did David come to the decision to tell the priests, no, I don't want you to come with me with the ark. Go back into the city, take the ark back into Jerusalem. So there are three aspects that we can identify in David's decision. The first is this, that his decision reveals a maturity in faith. If David had been a younger man, he might have been tempted to say, well, that's really nice of you guys to come out with the ark. Come along. I'd love to have you with me. But David is, 
has learned some faith lessons. He has learned lessons of faith over the years. And David would have remembered that in the past, <clears throat> the Israelites, you know that story, I'm sure, the Israelites had taken the ark of God with them into battle against the Philistines. The time when uh, Eli was the high priest and his sons took the, the ark into battle. You know the story? It didn't go well. They lost the battle and the Philistines captured the ark. And the ark was with the Philistines and the Lord made sure the ark to come back. But that was a huge lesson. It taught God's people that, well, you cannot just take the ark of God with you as if it is a lucky charm and as long as you have the ark, you will be victorious. No, that's not how the Lord works. The Lord demands that we have faith in him and that we serve him. And then we can expect his blessing. Another thing that David had learned, David had brought up the ark of the Lord to Jerusalem. You know that too. David wanted the ark to be in Jerusalem. And he had prayed about it, and the prophets had confirmed, yes, the Lord likes that idea. The Lord wants his ark to be in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is going to be the city of the Lord, where the tribes go up. Many of the Psalms speak about it. Psalm 68, for example. Zion, it says, was the mount that God desired for his abode. Psalm 134, we sing that psalm often in church. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. So the Lord um, wanted Jerusalem to be the holy city. He wanted his dwelling place to be among his people on that Mount Zion. And he wanted his people to trust that wherever they might be, he will still bless them from Zion. And David had experienced it throughout his life. You know, David was persecuted by King Saul, and the Lord had always protected him, even though the ark was not with him, because he served the Lord, he prayed to the Lord. When he was fighting wars later on with the Philistines and other enemies, the Lord gave him success. The Lord dwelt in Jerusalem, and he gave success to David in his wars wherever he went. So David knew, he had learned throughout his life that the Lord is omnipresent everywhere and the Lord would bless him and protect him wherever he was. And David has written about it in many of the Psalms. You know that too, David was not just a warrior, he was also a poet and a musician. So we have the Psalms of David and there is one psalm that actually speaks specifically about this episode, the episode with, uh, with Absalom. You know which psalm that is? Psalm 3. You can read it at home if you have time today. A beautiful testimony of faith. O oh Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. He wrote that as he was fleeing from Absalom. But you, O oh God, are a shield about me. And then he writes this, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. That's, that's the faith of David. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. So David knew, he understood. 
I don't need to have the ark with me. God will answer me from his dwelling place in Jerusalem. And brothers and sisters, here we see some of the beauty and the value of a lifetime lived in faith. For young people, I, I see many young people here in church, which is great. But when you're young, that can still be a question mark sometimes. When I serve the Lord, will the Lord really be with me in all situations? Is He always going to bless me? And then when you trust the Lord and, and, you, and you, go, you run with it, so to speak, when you get older as a Christian and you have experienced the truth that the Lord is indeed faithful and He keeps His promises and He does indeed bless us richly when we trust Him, then you learn and then you grow in maturity in faith. You become mature. Like David or like other people in the Old Testament. Then you become like Jacob. Jacob also had to learn his faith lessons. And he was not always perfect. But at the end of his life, at the end of his life Jacob called his sons to himself and he said, Listen, I'm going to give you a blessing, each one of you. And this is what I can tell you. The Lord has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. Genesis 48. So that is what, what you learn as you walk with the Lord in faith, and I hope it will be your experience as well, whether you're young or old. Now today, Mount Zion is no longer the place where the Lord has his dwelling place, of course. The ark is not even there anymore. But we still have the same assurance that God will help us and bless us. How does that work today? For us, where does our help come from? Our help comes from the heavenly Jerusalem. Because there we have our high priest who is interceding for us. Hebrews 12. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. So, and therefore, brothers and sisters, when you have trusted that God, and when you think of Jesus Christ, our intercessor in heaven, we don't need lucky charms around our necks, or as some people do, protection bracelets around their arms, or other people, when I put up a picture of Jesus in my home, maybe I will be protected. No. God will protect us from his heavenly dwelling place. He will bless us from Zion, from Mount Zion, from the heavenly Zion, that is. So that is the first thing we learn uh, about David's faith, a mature faith. His decision reflects a mature faith. The second thing that we also see in David's words is what you might call a contrite spirit. Contrite spirit, maybe a difficult word. What is contrite? Contrite means humble. When someone is contrite, it means that the person realizes that he's made mistakes or sins, so he's, he humbles himself. That's what we see in David. Listen to his words again. He says, I don't, bring the ark back into the city, 
If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am, let him do to me what seems good to him. And these are remarkable words. And immediately we have a, what strikes us is a, a sense of humility. David is not speaking like a warlord who is uh, speaking to his men and who is saying things like, guys, just we are going to fight this and uh, it might look like we're on the losing side, but we'll come back. We are going to be victorious. David is not speaking like a politician who says, okay, I've lost the election, but I'll be back in four years' time. No. It almost sounds as if David is saying, I'm not sure if I deserve to be back. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, I will be back. If not, it's fine. Let the Lord do to me what seems good to him. So how should we interpret this? Is David depressed, fatalistic? Is he shaken? Has he lost faith? No, there is something else going on. And in order to understand this, we need to go back to a painful episode in David's life, described in chapter 11 and 12. You know the story well. David had committed adultery with the wife of one of his soldiers, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. And when she became pregnant, David arranged for the soldier, Uriah, to be killed in battle. So there was adultery and murder, serious sins. And David tried to, to keep it hidden, but the Lord was displeased with him. And the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to King David to rebuke him. And then David acknowledged his sin. Yes, he said, I have sinned. I've done evil. And then Nathan said this, Your sin is forgiven. But the sword will never depart from your house. Your sin is forgiven, but the sword will not depart from your house. So David's sin was forgiven. He remained on the throne. But then evil things started to happen. One of his sons, Amnon, raped his sister, half-sister, Tamar. The brother of Tamar, Absalom, took revenge and killed Amnon. The sword had come to David's house. And now the sword is coming again through Absalom. And that is the reason why David speaks the way he speaks. David realizes at this moment that evil has come upon him, yes. And it's not right what Absalom is doing. Absalom is the culprit. But David knows, I myself, I am to blame as well. And that is why David is not boasting. There is no braggadocio on his part. He humbles himself. He acknowledges that it is his own sin that causes him to be in this situation. And yet, he still embraces the Lord. He still looks out for the Lord's favor. There are two things to learn here for us, brothers and sisters. First, painful, but it is what we see. Sins 
have consequences. So the Lord is gracious, yes. Your sins, our sins can be forgiven, but sins still have results or consequences. And you know this. We all know this, don't you? When I, when I sleep with another man's wife and it's discovered and I ask forgiveness, the Lord will forgive that, but there may still be serious results. My own marriage might fall apart or my children might hate me or whatever. Or when I steal money and it's discovered and, okay, I ask forgiveness and it's good again. I'm still a member in the church, but, yeah, people might not trust me anymore. They might not put me on the financial committee, for example. Sins are forgiven by God's grace, but there will also be consequences. And David has to deal with that now. That's, that's one lesson. And second, thankfully, the Lord will not despise a contrite spirit. And that is why David is still a man of faith. He's, he humbles himself, but he also puts himself before the Lord because he knows that the Lord is merciful and gracious. Psalm 51, another psalm of David. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. There's such a difference, right, between Absalom and David. Absalom, the son, was arrogant. David was humble. Absalom, he just reveled in his sins. He, he enjoyed them. David also was a sinner, but he, he humbled himself before the Lord and asked forgiveness. And the outcome? Absalom will soon experience the Lord's wrath, and David will soon experience the Lord's mercy and be back on the throne. Now, for those of us here in church who are a little bit older already, like myself, getting up there, when you look back at your life, you start to realize that some of the suffering that you experience in your life is always so complex and complicated. Sometimes other people do bad stuff to you, but you yourself I myself, you also make mistakes, errors, sins. Some of the hardship that we experience are the result of what other people do, and sometimes it's our own evil deeds and desires. And then you realize all the more that all the blessings that we still experience are the result of God's mercy and grace. So if you have sinned, and if you had cause damage, and we all do that sometimes. Still hold on to the gospel like David did and put yourself out there before the throne of God because God is merciful and gracious. And that leads us to the third point. We've seen a maturity in David's faith. We've seen his contrite spirit. And the third thing we see is that he, he, wants, he still wants to trust in the Lord's favor. Maybe his faith is shaken because of the circumstances, but he still entrusts himself to God because God is merciful and gracious. That's why he speaks about God's favor. If I find favor, he says, in God's, in God's eyes, then I will be back and see the ark again and see God's dwelling place again. 
if we think back a little bit, David had worked hard to arrange that the Ark of God would have a permanent place in Jerusalem. It was one of the highlights of his career. That day when they brought the Ark up into Jerusalem and gave it a permanent place uh, right there on Mount Zion. You know, David dancing before the Lord, it was such a happy day. And many of the Psalms speak about it. For example, Psalm 27. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So for a true believer like David, a true believer in Israel, no place was more beautiful than the house of God, the temple of the Lord. Like for us today, for a true believer, no place is more beautiful than to be in the presence of the Lord among, in the company of fellow believers. Now, how sure was David that he would see the ark of God again? And he wasn't sure at all. He wasn't sure that he would be back. That's why he says, if God has favor on me, I'll, I'll be back. But he wasn't sure that he would be back. It didn't look like it at that point in time. But he was sure about something else, that the Lord is good and merciful and that he would still experience the favor of the Lord wherever he was going to go. We have the Psalms of David. I'm quoting a few Psalms this morning. Psalm 103 that we often sing on the Lord's Supper Sunday. God's mercy, everlasting and unfailing, his righteousness forevermore prevailing, will rest on those who worship him with awe. God's mercy, everlasting and unfailing. Those are words of David. So David knew for sure, and he did not doubt this, that God is merciful, and that the sinner who flees to God with a repentant heart will never be sent away, but will experience the Lord's mercy and favor. So, let's understand this well. David was not sure at this moment that the Lord will bring him back to Jerusalem to be king again, but he was sure that he would experience God's mercy and favor. Another psalm, oh, going back to Psalm 27, I quoted from it earlier. David says this, beautiful words, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Did you hear that? David wasn't sure that he would be back in Jerusalem, but he was sure of this. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Maybe there are some among us here, brothers and sisters, who, especially those with some life experience, who reflect on their life, the good things and the bad, including things that I'm now ashamed of, that I did, and you think of some of the damage that you caused, some of the hurt you caused in people's lives. Some of that damage cannot be undone. Sometimes 
things cannot be repaired anymore. But there is always still this left, the mercy of the Lord for those who seek his favor. And the promise that those who seek God's favor will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's a comfort for all sinners like you and me. Now at this point, I'd like you to move in your thoughts from David to the son of David. Because it is not in David, but it is in the son of David that we find real assurance that these things are, are true. And there is something really beautiful in this event if you consider where it took place. So if you think of the geography, where was David when the priests came down with the ark of God and when he said, take the ark back into the city? I think you know a little bit about Jerusalem and some of you might have been there. I have not been in Jerusalem yet. still hope to go there one day. But it's like this. You have Jerusalem with the dwelling place of God. David has now left the city. He has gone down into the valley of the Kidron Valley, and that's where he's standing, at the river or the creek, whatever it was, with the ark. And then he says take the ark back into the city, and then he goes on on the Mount of Olives, weeping as he goes, barefoot, and all the people weeping with him. Now, many years later, the great son of David, the Lord Jesus, would walk exactly the same road. He, too, came out of Jerusalem. He, too, was rejected by his people. He, too, crossed the Kidron and then went into the Garden of Gethsemane, which is at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And you know, he was in such great agony that the sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, in the case of Jesus, it was not because he had sinned that he was in this situation. He was the Son of God. It was because of our sins, your and my sins, that he was in such great agony. He had taken our sins upon himself. And that's why he was rejected, that he had to walk this road. He had and he wanted to drink the cup of God's wrath because of our sins. And now that we know this, now that we know that the Lord Jesus walked that same road and he offered himself as, as a sacrifice for our sins, he, the Son of God, now we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, humble confidence. And now we can also say, just like David, since God has shown us his favor in, and mercy in Jesus Christ, I'm confident that I will see God's dwelling place again. That's what David said. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, I will see God's dwelling place again. There's something prophetic in those words. Doesn't it make you think of Revelation 21? Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. That's the gospel message for sinners like you and me. So, as we 
draw the message to a close, brothers and sisters, I ask you once more to consider these two men, David and then the great son of David. As you consider King David, I hope you share with him that longing to see the dwelling place of God. And you might feel humble, you might feel terrible perhaps about sins you have committed, but be like David, have that longing to see the dwelling place of God and that desire to experience God's favor and to know that you're welcome in God's presence. But perhaps you're not sure. We struggle with that sometimes, don't we? Does God's favor really rest on me? Am I not too bad a sinner? And perhaps you're inclined to say just like David, if I find favor in God's eyes, I'll see his dwelling place, but I'm not sure. Well, in that case, that's why you must consider the son of David, the son of God, Jesus Christ. He did everything that was necessary to make you and me experience God's favor. So trust his promise, the promise of Jesus Christ when he said, Revelation 3, the one who conquers, so the one who, who perseveres in faith, will be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So God's favor is not iffy. God's favor is secure for everyone who embraces Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. May that be what we all do, to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior all the days of our life, so we will see God's dwelling place. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the testimony of faith of men like David who lived long ago, in whose lives we see your mercy displayed. We thank you that you have always answered the petitions of your people from your dwelling place, in the old days from Zion. And today in our time, you still do so from your heavenly dwelling. We praise you that when we go to you in prayer and we ask for your forgiveness and for your protection and we bring our needs to you, that your throne is for us a throne of grace and mercy because we have Jesus Christ with you in heaven and he's walked that road before us and on behalf of us and now he's interceding for us according to your promise so that we can have assurance that we find favor in your eyes. We thank you for the gospel, Lord, also in this text this morning. And we pray, Lord, hear us when we call. Show us your favor. Listen to our plea. Thankfully, we do not have to flee for our lives like King David had to do. But we too have our struggles and our afflictions and our insecurities. So we, we ask you, pray for all Be with all of us 
as we struggle with our various burdens, whether it is physical infirmities or mental instability or emotional pain or weakness in faith, we all depend on you, Father, to be with us at all times. Help us then to be faithful in our walk of life. Help us to be consistent in our faith and to always seek your face and your dwelling place. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.